Hello film lovers, yes, it's that time of the year again. Get comfortable, whap out your popcorn and get ready for fireworks. It's the New Year's special of the films I love most podcast. and welcome to the Films I Love Most podcast New Year's special. It's New Year's Eve, yes! And I hope you all had an absolutely wonderful Christmas. I hope that Santa bought you everything that you asked for and that it was merry and jolly and that you ate yourself stupid because I certainly did and I'm still in a food coma, hence the very deep voice today. But yes, it's New Year's Eve and this is our New Year's special and it's going to be a very different format from what you are used to because in this episode we will be looking at the worst films of 2019. Now what we're going to do is I'm going to introduce them from 10 to 1 and we're going to have a listen back to the reviews that I gave some of the films and any film that we didn't review which is on the list I'm going to give a brand new re-look, a little bit of a refresh look at the film's on the list so that's how it's going to work so there's going to be a lot of past Keith and future Keith discussions going on which is going to be really fun um yeah so it's going to be a very very busy episode so let's get straight on with our number 10 in the worst films of 2019 and number 10 is The Lion King So I went into The Lion King with actually quite high expectations because I had really enjoyed The Jungle Book. I thought it was a very faithful adaptation. I thought the effects and CGI were incredible. I thought the the way they um, got the movements and the characters of the animals was impressive and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So when I heard that Jon Favreau was making The Lion King, of course I was excited and I'm... You know, it was, I got this sort of very excited feeling in my chest thinking one of my favourite movies as a child was going to be reimagined and the story was going to be retold for, you know, children of um, the new generation because not many kids actually like to go back and watch those 2D movies, you know, those sort of animated uh, Disney classics. I know that we all think that they should be held in such high you know, esteem, but unfortunately, not many kids like watching that sort of animation anymore. They've been spoiled by the the wealth of, you know, animating 3D um, treats from the likes of DreamWorks, like How to Train Your Dragon movies, things like that. So, yeah, when you're going back and watching the original Lion King, I can understand why kids these days might not find it very engaging. But then along comes the Lion King, and yes... Okay, so the plus points for me were, um, you know, the animals, the CGI, the effects looked absolutely incredible. It was beautiful. The opening sequence, I got the uh, goosebumps on the arms during the circle of life. And, you know, I think that's what they're going for. That's what you need. That set up the film very well for me. Um, Then the storyline was pretty much uh, beat to beat um, as the animated film. I wish they'd taken a few more risks with the story, maybe a bit of a background, bringing the female characters maybe forward slightly, having them more prominent. Um, I felt like they missed a trick there. The, you know, it was almost like I was watching the animated version, but just, you know, a version with realistic looking animals and a bigger budget. Um, I struggled with that because I really honestly hope that they just made a few more um well a few different 
judgments on the story because it was very traditional and the story was pretty much exactly the same. In some scenes, it was a shot-for-shot remake of the animated uh, version. Oh, this was meant to be plus points. Um, Timon and Pumbaa, obviously my favourite characters in the original, my favourite characters here, absolutely fantastic. Um, Voiced perfectly. I mean, all the voices in the film were adequate. I would say Beyonce was slightly off-putting playing Nala. Um, but I think that, you know, they carried it off quite well. Donald Glover, yeah, I mean, he's no Matthew Broderick, but it it sufficed. You know, he's got a quite a nice singing voice as well. I think the things that let the film down, I didn't like the character of Scar as much. I didn't like the design of the character, the look of it. I didn't particularly engage very well with that. There were some moments when in the fight sequences where they looked quite the same. So it was very difficult to sort of see... Um, like differentiate the characters from each other and the color scheme as well it was quite dull and um sepia and it wasn't really engaging uh, you know when the hyenas and scar take over it's meant to look quite different quite gray quite you know there wasn't that much of a difference i thought the opening of the film apart from the, the sunrise and the bit when mufasa gives the speech about you know whatever the light touches um, I thought the, I thought the sort of vision of the film was quite dull. Yes. So, um, all in all, I thought the film was engaging. I think a younger audience would love it. I thought the baby Simba was cute as anything. Oh my goodness! I just wanted to jump in and give him a big cuddle. I thought having um, James L. Jones as the voice of Mufasa again was a really good idea because it sort of gave that familiarity to the film that a lot of us who remember the original needed it was almost like a connection between the two and it was like putting on a warm you know lovely dressing gown it felt very comfortable having his voice as Mufasa um Timon and Pumbaa again I will say were my favorite I thought Seth Rogen as Pumbaa was just hilarious and some of the alterations that they made to Akuna Matata um, had me in stitches and my friend who I went with was um, laughing out loud to Timon and Pumbaa's comedy jinx so yeah I've, I would just go and see the film for them I thought it was they were definitely the standout characters and and were probably the most different to um, the characters from the original I think that's probably why I enjoyed them so much because a risk sort of had been taken on them and they were very 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 different uh, I know that some people didn't enjoy the film i know that dan who is a good friend of mine um wrote a message to me about what he thought of it so i saw the film last night this is from dan and i've already forgotten a lot about it the animation and the visuals were breathtakingly beautiful but the film and songs seemed empty to me maybe i wasn't expecting a near shot for shot remake of the beloved original because it was so similar there weren't any stakes or danger. The songs didn't really work for me either. Be Prepared should have been cut entirely. I don't know, maybe I'm just getting old. You're not getting old, Dan. You're a sprightly young man. Don't put yourself down. Um, I do agree with you. Be Prepared was a song that was just felt very out of place because it was more spoken and it had like one chorus and that was it and it just didn't seem very prominent within the storyline. So get rid of that. Um... Yes, there's a scene at the end when Simba has to return to Pride Rock and there's a new song which has been inserted, which is completely forgettable, very dull. Uh, Beyonce singing it, I think, and um, it didn't fit very well with the scene. What they should have done is used He Lives In You, which is a much better song um, and has a lot more emotion connected to it. Unfortunately, they only used that song in the closing credits, which is a huge shame because it is one of the best songs written for the Lion King franchise having been in the Lion King 2 and the stage musical so huge opportunity missed there um all in all the music's good it's quite similar there's not much risk taken with the music apart from you know the sort of the vocals in can you feel the love tonight for example there was it was much more um much more of a harmony Sorry about that, I just dropped something. I'm getting very emotional. Can you feel the love tonight? How dare you mess it up? But it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was okay. 
the music, I actually, you know, thought afterwards, did they need the songs? Did they need the music? I would have said no. I thought the first song that we um, heard, obviously, was Circle of Life. But after that was I Can't Wait to Be King. And it was sung by Young Simba. And it just looked a bit odd, if I'm honest. Um, the movement of the mouths of the CGI animals didn't quite sort of sync up very well with the music and with the lyrics so it was a little bit off-putting for me I just think that maybe we could have done without the singing completely but then it wouldn't be the Lion King without Akuna Matata so I am going to give the Lion King and I've thought very hard about this because I know that I have an emotional connection to this film from the original but I'm going to give it seven out of ten Purely because I did enjoy myself. I did love Timon and Pumbaa. I thought the um, CGI effects were amazing. I just think there were some creative decisions that could have been done differently. I.e. the colourscape of the film and some of the songs were not up to scratch. But apart from that, a solid seven. Rawr. one day. I'm gonna get one. I don't know why it's so important to you. I just feel like it would make me feel better. <gasps> oh no, it's a little lion. That is not a lion. Well then go check it out. What is that it? That is not a lion. It's a furry bird. It looks like a lion. Yeah, that's not a lion. Let me get a closer look. Excuse me. Oh, all right, let me see what we're dealing with here. It's a lion. Run for your life. Wait, no, wait, 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 wait. It's a little lion. It gets bigger. Can we keep them? Can we please keep him? Oh, oh, okay. Oh, I promise. I'll walk him every day. If he makes a little mess, I'll clean it up. You'll I'll be his little mess. He's going to eat you and then use my body as a toothpick. But one day, when he's big and strong, he'll be on our side. I've got it. What if he's on our side? Hear me out! Having a ferocious lion around might not be such a bad idea. Well, then, can we keep him? Yes, of course we can keep him. Well, my uh, God, who is the brains of this operation? We're going to name him Fred. So, number nine on the list is Alita Battle Angel. I saw this in the cinema in Wood Green on a pretty rainy afternoon. And I was quite looking forward to it because James Cameron, you know, is very good at what he does. Visual effects, story, it's an interesting mix that he manages to create most of the time. Obviously, his, like, opus is Terminator 2. In my eyes, his best film, followed very, very swiftly by Aliens. Um, so, Attila Battle Angel is about a deactivated cyborg who is revived but cannot remember anything about her past life and she goes on this quest to find out who she is. Now, the reason why it's on the worst list, because this film is so bland and the script is so bad. I nearly walked out at least three times and I never walk out of movies. And it's quite surprising because the cast consists of uh, Christoph Waltz, uh, Jennifer Connelly. Um, you know, there's quite a few very high-profile names in there, but I just found the whole thing very drab, um, uninteresting. I mean, I must admit, I'm not a fan, really, of Avatar. I know that everybody went crazy for it when it was released, but I'm not really a fan. And if you look at James Cameron's upcoming schedule over the next couple of years... Avatar 2, Avatar 3, Avatar 4, Avatar 5. Yes, 2027 is going to bring you the long-awaited Avatar 5. I mean, he's really pushing the boundaries here. And I think that just comes across because of the effects. The special effects now are getting so good that he is using the medium to tell a story when it shouldn't really be that way round. It should be the story that is, you know the most important thing, the narrative, rather than the effects leading it. And I was very disappointed with Elita Battle Angel, which is why it's number nine on the list. Number eight on the list is the Sam Raimi-produced crocodile catastrophe that is cruel. Cruel. Yes, cruel, as in crawling along the floor to try and get out of the movie theatre away from this film. No, I'm not being biased. Sorry, sorry, you know. Um, I will give my honest review. I will try and uh, 
try and do this in a in a, a way that you'll um, appreciate. So, Cruel um, is not out for a couple of weeks, but I was lucky enough to go to an advanced screening. <clears throat> I say lucky enough. Um, yes. Um, so the premise of Cruel is that a storm has hit Florida, and a girl, she's um, a swimmer, her sister calls her and says that they haven't heard from their dad for a little while and they think that it might be in trouble and with the storm about to hit they just want to check that he's okay so one of the sisters Haley, goes to check and make sure that her dad who's played by barry pepper is alive so she goes to his house and finds him unconscious in the cellar um something's happened i'm not quite sure um doesn't really explain it but he's um badly injured and as the uh, flood waters start to rise, you suddenly begin to realise there is something stalking the main characters. And the stalker is, in fact, an alligator. Yeah, an alligator. So, and not just one either. Quite a few alligators join after a while. There is a moment in the beginning of the film which sort of hints to what's going to happen. Because as the... as um, Haley's character is driving down the road you see a sign for an alligator farm and you just think oh well there you go then I mean show don't tell in its purest form um it's uh, I mean it's such a strange film because I can see what it's trying to do it's you know got that sort of exciting like monster movie feel to it you know where um, the monster is stalking its victims and the victims are trying to find ways to survive um the alligators look awful i think that's probably my main gripe about the film they re- they really look cgi and tacky and just not very well done at all uh the film is produced by sam raimi who a lot of you will know um directed and created the evil dead franchise and also directed the Superman films of the ninety late nineties and early two thousands. Um, yeah, I'm not quite. I can see his influences on the film. There's a few um, point of view tracking shots which are have been ripped straight from the Evil Dead movies. Uh, there's a sort of a dark undertone which I can definitely feel was um, influenced by Raimi's filmmaking. Um, and it is directed by Alexandra Aja, who, um, yes, I mean, directed um, The Hills of Eyes, Mirrors, Piranha 3D. Um, you know, not exactly the best sort of um, CV there of movies, but, you know, they'll do. Is it exciting? Yes. Are there parts of the film where you are like willing the characters to succeed yes and at one point I was just willing for them to be munched because I was just getting a bit frustrated with the whole storyline the first 15-20 minutes are as dull as dishwater there is pretty much nothing going on the main character she is trying to find her father she's crawling through us through like the cellar it is just a little bit boring if I'm honest and when the action finally kicks in there are some really exciting moments but it's not Jaws you know it's there's not really much tension built up uh, by the end I really couldn't care less whether the character survived or not which is not really a good sort of reflection of the film um, you know the film has had a really good marketing campaign I think a lot of people are um you know, excited for it. I know that basically the critics have praised it quite a bit, saying it's sort of satisfying and a lot of fun, which, you know, it it's a lot of fun. I think that the performances are not very, you know, well realised. I think the script is poor, like very poor. There are, it's almost like a series of um, sort of lines that they want put on T-shirts you know, it's the script has no substance, really, which is a shame because I think it could have been really good. I think it could have been like the jaws of the alligator, you know, world. But it's just not. It's just 
very disappointing to me. If you like a good alligator, if you're like if you're a fan of films like Lake Placid, things like that, you're going to love it because there is a lot of animal, you know, action. But for me, not my cup of tea. Sorry. So I'm giving Crawl four out of ten because there are some moments which you know I found interesting. Others, I just it just did not float my boat. Number seven on the list is Rambo Last Blood. Rambo must confront his past and unearth his ruthless combat skills to enact revenge in his final mission. Sounds terrible, right? You're right. It was awful. And Sylvester Stallone just looks like he's phoning it in. Doesn't look like he wants to be there. There are better things for him to do, like make a new Creed movie, which is fantastic. But Rambo, Last Blood, is just completely unnecessary. The narrative is ridiculous. The story is unnecessarily gruesome and brutal. The effects, the stunts, is it's just unsavoury. And, you know, you go to one of those films, you know what you're going to get. But this just seemed to push the boundaries way too far and was just a very nasty, gruesome piece of work and completely has let down the Rambo legacy, which is such a shame because the first sort of, you know, first blood and and, you know, the films have been really strong and really interesting and have a huge fan following. But Rambo Last Blood, unfortunately, should not have been made and... I think that everybody involved can see that it was a little bit of a mistake. But there you go. Number seven on the list is Rambo. Last blood. Thank God. Number six on the list is another film from James Cameron. He's not having a good year, is he? It is the terrible Terminator. Terminator. Dark fate. Terminator. Dark fate. Now... I've been in Germany for a week and I really wanted to go and see the opening night of this. But I've just got to see it in a very small theatre in Woodgreen. So I didn't have the huge, great, big IMAX experience with this film. But I don't think it really matters because my review is going to be fair. I'm going to say I'm not quite sure what all the fuss is about. I love Terminator and I love Terminator 2. Like... I'm obsessed with that film. I have a brother who's slightly older than me, so therefore I was watching films that were not particularly in my age bracket, as we've spoken about before. But Terminator 2 was one of my childhood films, and I love it, and I think it's a great action movie, probably the best action movie of all time. And I think the story is amazing, I think it's well acted, I think Linda Hamilton is incredible in that film. And then comes Terminator Dark Fate. So the opening scene really shocked me and took me out of my comfort zone, which I thought was amazing. The first sort of five, ten minutes of the film really sort of shook up the story and the timeline of the Terminator, which I thought was really, really clever. And I was really excited to see what the rest of the film would throw at me, seeing that they made such a bold move right at the very beginning. But it was just the same old thing i mean i know that people go to the terminator for a very specific experience but there was nothing new whatsoever it was actually quite dull and boring in parts i thought linda hamilton's return was really well handled i thought she was great but in the second half of the film she didn't have anything to do they sort of pushed her to the background and had two other characters although they were female characters which is really really incredible i do think that they overshadowed Linda Hamilton's inclusion in the story. Schwarzenegger comes back very briefly for, you know, a role which they tried to make different, but at the end just wasn't very interesting. Um, Mackenzie Davis playing Grace was a welcome addition to the Terminator mythos. I thought that was a really great performance from her. She really kicked butt, so to speak. And uh, Natalie Reyes, who plays Danny, who is pretty much the Sarah Connor of the film, was really, really well played. I just wanted more. 
I mean, it was helmed as having James Cameron involved. Uh, Tim Miller was the director who directed Deadpool. So I expected a lot more humour. I expected a lot more, like, the story to be more thought out. But in the end, I just didn't warm to it at all. In fact, I walked out of the cinema, went to do my review and realised that I'd forgotten half the film. But the Terminator Dark Fate at least is better than the last two entries. Um, We had Terminator Genesis and the other one I can't remember. I can't remember what it's called. Terminator Christian Bale shouts at a cameraman. That's all I can remember that it's called. But um, Salvation, yes, thank you very much. Thank you, the the Dungeon Master. (laughs) It is Salvation. So... I'm giving Terminator Dark Fate 5 out of 10. But that's much more than I would have given Genesis. If we were doing this podcast when Terminator Genesis come out, you would have had a whole hour of me ranting about what a pile of steaming crap that film is. But, you know, they're they're going the right way. Who knows? A couple more attempts. Maybe we'll get a perfect Terminator sequel. But unfortunately, Terminator Dark Fate It's not it. Talk. Talk fast. Who first? My name is Sarah Connor. August 29, 1997. It was supposed to be Judgment Day. But I changed the future, saved three billion lives. Enough of a resume for you? No. You may have changed the future, but you didn't change our fate. I know you're scared, but I'm here to protect you. never seen one like you before. Almost human. I am human. Just enhanced. Why do you care what happens to her? Because I was her. Sarah! I can see you're very upset. I'm going to help you protect the girl. Nobody else is gonna die because of me! You don't make it. Everybody dies. Expect a big pain, brother. The whole body's a weapon. Sorry. When this is all over, I am going to kill you. I understand. I'll be back. So for some of the films on our worst list, I asked some of you guys on Facebook to give me your three top worst movies of 2019. And you did just that. And it was hilarious reading some of your comments. Uh, One of the films that came top in pretty much everyone's list was Hellboy uh, released this year. Um, I didn't review Hellboy on the podcast because I refused to go and watch it after I read the scathing reviews. And of course, I absolutely love uh, Guillaume del Toro's versions of the film. So I didn't go and see it. So uh, based on a graphic novel, Hellboy is caught between two worlds of the supernatural and the human and battles an ancient sorceress who is bent on revenge. I mean, uh, the reviews got just worse and worse and worse as the film was released and 
you know, it's such a shame because David Harbour, who's who's an amazing actor in Stranger Things, was playing Hellboy, and you'd think that this would have been a match made in heaven. Well, it actually, it was a match made in hell. Oh, the irony. Um, you know, Ian McShane, just absolutely chewing on the scenery, which he does in most things, but I find it tolerable, you know, nine times out of ten. But unfortunately, in Hellboy, I've heard that he was pretty disastrous so even though i didn't see hellboy all you guys out there seem to dislike it so that is why it is number five on the list of the worst films of 2019 if you thought that getting a sack full of pants and socks was a disaster this christmas well you haven't seen anything yet number four on the list is black christmas So I had the, let's say, misfortune of attending the premiere of Black Christmas here in the UK. And I'm just going to lay it on the line. I've never seen the biggest load of tosh in my whole life. This is going to go down in films I love most history with two other movies, I think. Um... So a group of female students are being stalked by a stranger during their Christmas break. That is until the young sorority pledges discover that the killer is part of an underground college conspiracy. That's the plot. It is so on the nose that it hurts. It feels like you're being repeatedly punched in the nose with the message. And it's a very important message, but it's really well handled. So the sorority uh, pledges... One of them, who Riley, who's played by Imogen Potts, who's probably the best thing in this film. She was sexually assaulted a couple of years earlier. And the guy who assaulted her is coming back to the college for part of a charity event, which happens every year at Christmas. She sees him. She humiliates him in front of a big group of people by singing a song about um, him raping her. And then... One by one, the girls start to get killed off and you think it's all to do with this. But it actually turns out that it's a demonic cult that are trying to suppress women because they feel like that women have got above and beyond the expectations of what they should be aspiring to. I found it massively offensive. If I was a woman, I mean, only on a Thursday, but if I was a woman, I would look at this and just go, all right. I can see the message. It's a very important message. Of course, it should be out there and we should be supporting it. But no way, Jose, should we be doing it like this? It was so, so wrong. It really, really was. And I can't imagine that anybody would watch it and think, oh, good job. Yeah, that was a really good way to get the point across. It really, really wasn't. Um, It's not scary. It's not particularly violent. For a 15 movie, there was a serious lack of ri- of any thrills or spills. <clears throat> the first time that uh, you see one of the killers, it's I thought it was a Saturday Night Live comedy sketch. It was so bad. I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm going to give B- Black Christmas 2 out of 10. And the only reason I've given it Two is for Imogen Poots' portrayal of the character Riley because she was actually quite believable at times. So, yeah, Black Christmas, two out of ten. Avoid. Just make sure that you'll have a white Christmas this year. So we're into the top three, and now comes number three, which features the gorgeous, gorgeous Army Hammer in a film that you just think, Army, did were you bored? Did you just like want to do something completely different? Were you doing, you know, professional self-harming? Because this film is just that. Number three is Wounds. Wounds. Now, Wounds was shown as part of the London Film Festival, and you can watch it now on Netflix. But guess what? I'm about to make films I love most the podcast history because I cannot think of anything worse than having to sit through this movie again. So I'd love to be able to explain the plot to you, but I can't because it's incoherent. It's messy. The script is all over the place. And I just want to ask one question. Army Hammer, 
What are you doing? Did you not read the script? What is this? From the director of Under the Shadow, which is actually a very, very interesting film, this was shown at Sundance, but I have never, ever seen anything that I just wished it to be over. It was grotesque. It was horrible. It was incoherent. It was boring. It just didn't make sense. There were relationships between characters that were formed and then just completely forgotten. Um... Dakota Fanning had nothing to do. I'm not entirely sure that she realised that when she read the script, her character was nothing. And I'm just so disappointed because from what I read in the synopsis, it should have been my cup of tea. I did hear a couple of people at the festival say that it was an absolute pile of trash, but I didn't believe them because I like to make my own mind up. I watched it. I literally finished it about five minutes ago. And all I'm going to say is they were right. It is absolutely the biggest pile of trash I've ever seen. God knows what Netflix were doing when they commissioned this. Anyway, wounds. Can't explain the plot to you. Didn't understand it. Can't recommend any book actors or performers to you because they look bored i'm gonna make history of the films i love most podcasts and i'm gonna give this film one out of ten and if i could give it a zero i would because and no in fact hang on a minute this is my podcast i'm giving it a zero zero out of ten there is nothing about this film that i can recommend It's overtaken The Dead Don't Die as probably the worst film I've seen this year. It is absolutely an abomination. And if I were you, avoid, avoid, avoid. through it to see whose it was. You don't want to see it. You don't want to see it. It's awful. We have been something. I'm scared. You're scared too. You know if you ever need to talk, I'm here for you. You're acting guilty as shit. Number two in the Films I Love Most podcast, Worst Films of 2019. Now, after my rant I gave this movie, I can pretty sure imagine that you all thought that this was going to be my number one. But it's not. It's made it to number two. So, yes, there is something worse than this. It is number two on the list. The Dead Don't Die, unfortunately. The Dead Don't Die. I was very much looking forward to this film because I love Bill Murray and I was absolutely disappointed by this film in general. The storyline, a small town, um, is affected by... I can't really explain it. So, um, the Earth's rotation has changed. This is what I took from it. The Earth's rotation has changed and the Earth is being affected. Like the uh, daylight hours are all mixed up and weird and strange things are happening. Like pets are going missing or they're attacking their owners and things like that. But then the weirdest thing that happens is that the dead start to come alive and rise from their graves, which is a very traditional zombie sort of horror trope. Um, It's a comedy. I mean, is it? 
it's a horror film, but hang on, is it? I'm not quite sure. It, um, I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to be feeling in this film. Am I supposed to be laughing? Am I supposed to be horrified? Is there some underlining political message? Yes, there is. Did I get it? No. And why didn't I get it? Because I don't understand poli the American politics that much. So therefore, it, the meaning of the film was majorly lost on me. Were there wait, were there elements of sort of Trump bashing in it? Yes. Did I get it? Yeah, I, I suppose so, but didn't really sort of, you know didn't really dawn on me until I got home that that's what they were trying to do was the film exciting was it dynamic was it you know like a zombie film was it like sort of dawn of the dead no was it slow oh my goodness it was as slow as a zombie with no legs it was so tedious there was I think in some ways maybe that's what the director was trying to do it was trying to frustrate you and trying to sort of you know get you wiggling in your seat not because you were like grossed out by the zombies but because you were just so like come on do something with this movie let's go let's push this story ahead what's happening bill murray's doing nothing um and that definitely happened to me i was sitting there i was squirming in my seat i just felt this is the worst this is just the worst um, there, and it's such a shame because there are elements in the film which are really good. The whole idea of the earth changing its axis and rotating the other way and weird things happening. And But it was it was just underused. The actors were just not used enough. Um, you know, it was very deadpan comedy, which I think can be done very well if the actors who are doing it are, you know, funny in themselves. But it just did not work. The ending was atrocious. It broke the fourth wall a couple of times, which I actually thought was quite clever. If it had been in a different movie, if it actually, you know, if I had actually cared that much, but I didn't. So when um, Adam Driver's character at the end of the film says, I know what's going to happen because I've read the script. And you're like, oh, for goodness sake, are you kidding me? This is absolute lazy writing. Um, yeah. So did I enjoy it? No. Would I watch it again? Hell no. You could not get me to the cinema to watch that film again. Do I still love Bill Murray? Yes. Let's just hope when, when he comes back to the Ghostbusters that he'll do a good job with that and redeem himself because the dead don't die. Please, I really hope that this film dies a death. I'm giving the dead don't die one out of ten. Yes, one. Like, I've never done that before. I've always respected like creative decisions and like plot and story and the way the complexities that it takes to make a movie I've always taken that in, into consideration when I've given a film a mark and I'm still I'm doing that now I give it one it's terrible please just die <laughs> Now, I can only describe our number one as a complete catastrophe. Catastrophe. Get it? Yes. So we've had the top nine worst films of 2019. And our number one is an absolute non-feline friendly film. Um, I can imagine that you all probably guessed that this is going to be my worst film of the year after the way I described it in my review. But it is a lot worse than you can possibly imagine. I can only imagine that the only person that would give this five stars is someone who lives with a house full of them. Number one of the worst films of 2019 here at the Films I Love Most podcast is... Meow. Cats. So I always try and be objective when it comes to re reviewing a film. And I don't really read or listen to a lot of other people's opinions on the film until I've seen it. But it's been very difficult to get away from the negative criticism about Cats, the next film I will be reviewing. And a few friends have told me some terrible, terrible stories that have been printed in the newspaper about this film. And I went into it with a very open mind and I didn't want to judge it before I'd seen it because it's a very, you know huge undertaking this film and very complicated and technically complicated and I thought well I'm gonna you know just give it the benefit of the doubt and with a cast of people like Judy Dench, Ian McKellen, James Corden, Ray Winston, Jennifer Hudson and Idris Elba amongst many 
what could go wrong? <laughs> what could go wrong? So here's my review of Cats. If I was to sum it up in one word, I would say deplorable. It is possibly the worst thing I have seen at the cinema in a very, very long time. Probably since The Dead Don't Die, which was just hideous. But this just does not work on any level whatsoever. The special effects are nauseating. Within the first five minutes, I felt sick in the stomach because the camera just moves around so much. The first time I saw a cat appear, I thought, what is that? Surely this is a horror movie. That's an alien and someone should come in and kill it. It was horrific. And then they started singing. And I thought to myself, what is going on? I remember the soundtrack to Cats very well. I've seen the show twice. I used to have the video version, the VHS of um, the 1998 sort of filmed on stage version of Cats, which I loved and the music was great. But they've just remixed the soundtrack to the film and it sounds horrible. It sounds like a GCSE year 10 class has got their hands on cats and tried to modernise it, but it has gone hideously wrong. Now, that just sounds awful, right? Why would you want to watch it? But there is a few good points. Oh my goodness. Yep. The Lady Abelique poster has fallen off the wall in such disgust of this movie. See, this is the clue. As soon as Lady Abelique poster falls off the wall, we know we're in for a loser of a film. But I would say Taylor Swift really sort of was the best thing in the movie. I really enjoyed her performance. And also Ian McKellen as Gus the Theatre Cat was quite endearing. And, you know, if there was ever a time to shed a tear in the movie, it was with his character. But apart from that, it was horrible. I'm not even kidding. Um, Jason Deluro as Rum Tum Tugger, it should be made illegal. I mean, I don't understand. That is a form of torture. Just absolutely shockingly bad. And it's going to lose a lot of money. And so it should. Because the filmmakers should have known better than to try this. The effects are not good enough for this kind of project yet. When George Lucas... We're going back to Star Wars, guys. Sorry. When George Lucas made episode four of Star Wars, the very first Star Wars film... A lot of people were confused. Why didn't he make episode one? Because he didn't have the technology to make it at the time the way he wanted. So he waited and made episode four and then went back to episode one and made The Phantom Menace, which a lot of people think was also a huge mistake. Me me among them. (laughs) But Cats is absolutely awful because of the effects. They don't work. They needed to wait maybe five, ten years until the effects were there to be able to do it. Cats with human faces. I'm not even kidding. I thought I was watching an episode of Doctor Who. I expected the TARDIS to arrive any moment and, like, get rid of them. Save the Earth from these hideous abominations. But that didn't happen. They just kept on singing. And at the end, in the in the, the rolling credits, the, I could just see... Every single audience member walked out of the cinema thinking, well, that was an hour and a half I'd never get back. And it's true, you won't. So if there's anything I can do for you over the Christmas period, it's say, don't go and see Cats. Wait until it's available on some streaming service and watch the first 10 minutes, feel a bit nauseous, vomit, and then think, actually, I'm very glad that I didn't see that at the cinema because that is definitely the reaction you will have. I'm giving Cats... Well, do you know what? Jenna... I mean, Jennifer Hudson's performance of Memory was quite impressive and Taylor Swift was really good. And... Although the rest of it was absolute dog poo, ironic, um, I think that the thought behind it was, you know, there was good thinking and heart behind it, but it just does not work. So I'm giving it one out of ten. And it's the worst film I've seen this month. So, yeah, that's Cats. (laughs) 
Tonight is a magical night. Where I choose the cat that deserves a new life. Going to the ball could get dangerous. <laughs> Come on! Let's dance! I judge a cat by its soul. I've got plenty of soul. Spotlight! And a drum roll, please. Milk! It's party time! The most deserving cat will be reborn into another life. So they can be who they've always dreamed of being. What's your name? Cat got your tongue. Here we go! <laughs> Don't mess with the crazy cat lady. Now it is time to make the choice. Right, well, that's not going to work, is it? <laughs> that's what I say to you. <laughs> Cross pause. We're about to begin. I love it. So there you have it. That was the top 10 worst movies of 2019. Topping the list was Cats. Well done. Much deserved. <laughs> I can't even think about that film without literally being sick in my mouth a little bit. But yes, thank you so much. Happy New Year's Eve. I hope that you have a great hootenanny and whatever you're doing, that you ring the new year in with great cheer and happiness. And we will see you back tomorrow on New Year's Day for the Films I Love Most podcast. Top 10 best films of the year. Yes, we save the best till last. Look forward to seeing you then. Have a very, very happy new year and mwah, all the best. Thank you so much for listening to the New Year's special of the Films I Love Most podcast. I'm so grateful to all you listeners out there and I wish you a very, very happy New Year. Mwah. 2020, baby. disclaimer here we all have different opinions some people might love a movie some people might like hate it so if i don't like something that you like i'm sorry it's my opinion you know you don't have to like it please don't send me you know emails saying that i should be flung into the pits of eternal hell for disliking a movie that you love um beauty is in the eye of the beholder and that applies to movies too and let me just put it into perspective. There's been about six Sharknado movies. Someone out there is watching them. So there you go. We are all very, very different. <laughs>